This is Delve into Discourse. I'm Isaac Pickram. I'm Matre Lyon. And I'm Jahari Shelton. This is a new podcast where we will be discussing and evaluating our opinions, sentiments, and analyses on the pressing issues of our world. Today's discourse will be centered around gatekeeping, cultural dynamics, and the politics of representation. So, as you all know, Black is King is the hottest thing on the streets. Um, I just finished watching a little late for a fan, a little late, so don't hold it against me, okay? I will still come buzzing underneath your comments. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, on Twitter and on social media at large, right, there have been very interesting conversations about um, Blackness, about cultural um, gatekeeping of, uh, you know, more African, the continental African experience and continental African cultures um, as the movie, you know, as the film was released. Uh, So thoughts. (laughs) Okay, I, I can go first. All right. I mean, okay. I... As a continental African, go ahead, start your blurb. Okay. As the <laughs> resident co- um, continental African, also tangent, I think it's interesting because I, I mentioned this the other day that um, I guess we have the three kind of main facets of blackness in in this podcast. So, like, I could be a resident continental African, whatever. So, um, I feel like I feel two things. The first half is I resonate with the tweet I saw the other day, which is I'm too African to not find black as kin- king cheesy or corny. Um, there are some elements. There were some scenes where I was like, sis, what? Like, what is going on? I will always appreciate a good Beyonce visual. Don't get it twisted. But I think that the question is, like, is she doing a real service to continental Africans through Black is King? And I think that for me, it was apparent that the West was the target audience for Black is King. Like, I'm not seeing continental Africans being like, yes, like, (laughs) like, that's you. I don't think people, maybe people aren't used to, um, kind of that narrative or kind of that experience of like having a culture being um, kind of un-American and like non-Western and the kind of Western gaze that's on it um, plays a big kind of role in the conversation. But I think one, it wasn't, it was apparent that it wasn't for continental Africans. Two, I feel like the, um, how do I even say this? It was a Beyonce fied version of Africa. Like, I can't explain that more than that. But even through like her outfits, like, she was still wearing her bodysuits and, you know, her kind of, you know, Beyonce ish kind of aesthetic through Africa. And I don't know if that's doing the biggest service to Africans. It's to the ultimate point that the over romanticization and the glamification is that the word? Glamification? of Africa could do as much harm as the like degradation, like impoverished version of Africa that we are being fed because neither are true. Like neither are the truest form of Africa. So that's my thing. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about it from that perspective. 
Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, one thing, one thing I said to you, and we sort of got into an argument about it before, was how I felt like the African cultural representation was, uh, I don't know if more subtle is the way to put it, but less forced than in a movie like um, Black Panther. And I think you push back on that a little bit. And I think that's fair, um, especially you being the resident continent. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, because Black Panther was very like Kente cloth it up and performance. And I think part of that is the purpose of the movie, obviously, because that's a superhero movie. Um, but in um, Black is King and one of the examples, I think, is the Namibian Himba breeds like those? I, I, it was it was just like a small detail that I noticed in Beyonce's thing, um, but then I also understand what you're saying and what you've just said is a really good perspective of like that over romanticization of it is not necessarily good either. Um, so, right, but like okay, so my, what my point was what like in the other kind of conversation that we had was. Like, I think Black Panther, as you said, served another purpose. Like, mm. I don't think, like, that was pushing Afrofuturism. To me, the whole kind of purpose behind Black is King was, actually, Beyonce was more so, like, let me invite you on my journey of finding my roots, like, and, like, relating back to Africa. Mm. Like, that's right. what it felt like. I think, because, like, she even was saying how, like, she has her house in there. Like, that whole scene is at her house. Like, that's, it's very personal to her. She used her friends, her kids, her husband. Like, this was the same moment. So, I feel like, I feel like that's one thing. But then, like, I'm still returning back to the point of, like, who kind of owns, who, to your point about gatekeeping, who owns Black is King? Because I think that's another conversation I'm seeing, like, is this for Africans to reclaim and to talk about and to like kind of put at the forefront of their culture? Or is this for African-Americans and like kind of the West to do that? Or like black people living in the West? Right. Well, I think, I mean, that's an interesting conversation to have that's been going on. Right. If you think about like sort of the uh, back to Africa movement in the civil rights era and the pan-Africanism, things like, things like that. Um, there was pushback from Africans because obviously African-Americans, one, are very mixed race. They don't have that culture there. And so it's a very uh, difficult um, conversation to be had that needs to be had between not just African-Americans and, and West Africa and wherever else in Africa, but um, Afro-Caribs, Afro-Latinos, all the diaspora about sort of connecting themselves to the African continent. I was just going to say right before Jahari goes, I feel like another big thing is kind of the erasure of like, like kind of Afro-Caribs and like Afro-Latinx people from this whole conversation of like, because it seemed like she was, it was an ode to her blackness and blackness. And like that, yeah. like we didn't see any, <laughs> we saw like South Asian, I don't know. Anyways, go ahead, Jahari. Um, where do I pick up? So I think I, the first comment you made, right, it is not for continental Africans, not for real Africans, right? Um, 
there's a conversation to be had about how excited we get for films, specifically as African-Americans, how excited we get for films that have to do with Africa as a, and, and I mean the, the polished, um, positive, uh, non-colonial, like recapturing of Africa rather than our own stories, our own heritage, right? Like we're ashamed of slave movies. We don't go out in masses to go see, you know, documentaries about people who are, you know, rooted in our heritage and our ethnic category, but we will go to the moon and back and claim representation over Afrofuturist, <laughs> you know, superhero movie, Black Panther. But it goes both ways. So I feel like as a continental African, I feel like there is a over glamorization, that was the word, of of like African-American, well, rap, hip hop. Like I, that has a huge influence over kind of younger continental Africans. So I feel like it goes both ways. Right, sure. But I think that there's something to be said about shame related to slavery like as related to sure our history goes back farther than being cattle like on this land but the the need to distance right from that as if it is something negative is what why so many people have such negative racial identity development processes right <laughs> because it without understand right people are ready to hop on slavery when it comes down to the movie thir- to the documentary 13 they're quick to talk about it when, you know, when they want to make a joke on TikTok. But they're not quick to do it when it comes down to discussing why they love being Black. Nobody says, I love being Black because of being a slave, when that is why you have so much of your culture, if we're being honest. That's an interesting point. It's born right out of that experience. But even, like, the aspect of, like... <laughs> To me, I low-key laugh when I see stuff like Black is King. Well, for two reasons. The first reason is, like, we, and I say we because I think myself included, have to find peace, as you were saying, in understanding that you probably did not come from kings and queens. Like, that's (laughs) We we did not. Let's let's just go. Let's just, like. Right. Let's keep it a stack. Do you really think they were capturing the king and queen's children? (laughs) And selling them over several different continents. Are you serious? Right. (laughs) Right. But also finding... I mean, look at Oxway. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, listen. No, disclaimer. Disclaimer. Oh, my God. Disclaimer. (laughs) It is a known fact that within my family, we have done some wrong. Take that how you would like Wait, no, that's not even where I was going with that. Oh, 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 oh. I'm not going into the selling. I wasn't even in that mode. I was just talking about like people who are actually tied to royalty. Oh, oh, yeah. Being sold in the trade. Right. Right, right, right. You sold on yourself. Right. Don't call me no tattletale. You walked right into the trap door and I didn't even set it for you. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's why when y'all were gasping, I was like, mind y'all again, like we're on Zoom, like as we record this, so I can see their reactions. The way you gasped. As I said, <laughs> I was like, "What is she gasping about?" <laughs> it's it's a point. It's a it's a good point. Yeah, mentioning, but like really being able to find peace in like regular, regular people, you know, like I really don't understand 
like I think that this really can do as much harm or or as much harm as it does good. So know? right. So I think right. okay, I think that's an interesting not as it cutting me off. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just gonna say like in response, because you know my thoughts leave faster than Isaac's do. So what I'm saying is that the issue is that there are people who are saying, right, that we need to do damage control, essentially, of the white power narrative that Africa is dirty, dingy, dusty, and is in need of some type of cleaning up. But I think the missing element is what you said, Otsway, right, that there's a romantic, a romanticizing of Africa as like this cultural mecca because it is the motherland, right? And, and, and that in, in terms of what you were talking about with harm, right? Like that doesn't create like worldly leaders. Like we're now creating a, you know, new generation of people who can uplift the continent of Africa. Right. Right. Like that, that's very white saviorish, first of all. And second of all, the stories that we are uplifting to be told about the po- quote unquote positivity of the African identity is not coming from Africans. Right. Also, not to mention that this is all under Disney. Right. I mean, which is, which is not available in majority of sub-Saharan Africa, if not all. Period. I mean, right. Right. Actually, just I think about that. A little like personal anecdote. I actually went to go see um, The Lion King in Ghana last time I was there. It was a really interesting experience. People aren't like it was all kids, first of all. Like kids. Like I was the oldest one in the room. But like, no, but people go and see The Lion King for cultural, like reminisce, whatever. It was 100% children. And it was the storyline, it was like the kind of children nature of it that kind of drew people in. Like, exactly. They weren't floored by, like, it's Africa. Like, I don't think people understand that, like, no one is really up in arms, like, getting happy giddy about seeing, like, Africa in that way. Like, re- like regular, regular, regular Africans don't give a hoot. Like, they know their, their culture, if that makes sense. <laughs> Like they know themselves, to, like they know themselves enough to not get giddy over blackest king or lion king. If that makes, I mean, I don't. I feel like I said some, you know, tiptoey things there, but I guess my point is, is like, I do think we have a warped perception of Africa, and I'm not sure if this helped. That's hmm. my point. Well, what I was gonna say earlier, um was more so in talking about, I think it's worth mentioning, like, just how we were saying that not everybody comes from royalty, all this. And I think that's true. But at the same time, I think it's worth reckoning or mentioning the fact that Africa, as well as parts of Asia and parts of America, did not have the same system of sort of degrading caste-like systems as in Europe. And that's not to, my only point in saying that is that I don't think people should then look at themselves as like the serfs of Africa and be like, oh, my ancestors were the poorest people. I don't think that's the point. Right. Uh, but, uh, and I, I think there is some benefit in seeing blackness as a sort of like 
royal thing as a response to yeah. sort of white supremacy. White domination, yes. White domination. Right. right. But I think I think it can be you have to measure the cost, right? The cost of what is the perception, how does that perception affect African communities, like you're saying? Um, and I don't think we necessarily have the answer to that, but... Right. There's also no way to counter... Okay, so this is, once again, getting into my bag of theses. The There will never be a rewashing of the, of the whitewashing, right? Like, you can't blackwash Africa Mm. Right, like the the whole point of trying to um, like remake Africa in an image of uh, of like black joy, black freedom. If mm. you get what I'm saying, like I don't know if that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the right word, um, but like trying to remake it in our image, right, is also giving legitimacy to the fact that. Africa is not Africa. Like, it is a collection of cultures that were put together on, right. a, like, very unnecessary, unstable basis um, that has been perpetuated even by our own who aspire and do work, do the work of the state, of the American empire, if you will. Right. Um, yeah, so that that's all I'm saying. Like, like, don't I get I get the cultural significance I get like we want to have art and I don't want anybody to take this and be like you're hating on Beyonce I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear it because we can celebrate art and critique it at the same time exactly and that is kind of the theme of this podcast in case you don't know (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah I don't want to hear any y'all ain't no Beyonce lovers because I will come to your comments and I will put the bumblebees up under it (laughs) <laughs> I will be ready. Uh, me too. Right. Me, Miss Beyonce. But also, another thing that I wanted to say was... <laughs> Not y'all being shook by my deep voice. <laughs> yes, I have range. Right. <laughs> even... <laughs> I'm screaming. Anyways, even the perception of poverty is so interesting to me because like as I was saying the other day and I think we recorded a podcast and I said this as well but like living in a hut is not a bad thing like I keep trying to tell people and I don't think it's really sinking like there's nothing wrong with that I mean there's only something wrong with people coming and literally taking resources like that's the wrong (laughs) the wrong is not your pre-colonial life like that's not an issue in my opinion so like I think there is that aspect of it as well like are you ashamed of of that a pre-colonial Africa because that too is like rooted in white domination anti-blackness right right that's true but then also think about how the perceptions of Afrofuturism especially talking about um if you look at like the imagery of Wakanda in the Black Panther, it's very much like an urbanized, extreme technology. You mean they basically took the memes off of the internet of Elon Musk, Musk, (laughs) Musk, Elon Musk, whatever you say that man's name, you know, this accent be killing me sometimes. (laughs) Elon, uh, like his little future plans, and they just put it on the movie screen. That's all they did. Exactly. (laughs) No, no. Well, okay. Here I go. 
But like that is like very. This is related to Black Panther and Afrofuturism, not Black is King. Just disclaimer for right. context. But no, but that that was like true, like Afrofuturistic, like like there are Africans producing that work. Elon Musk is a white South African. I think I think that's so... fair. I'm more so just saying that that perception of Afrofuturism, regardless of who is making it or or creating those images is very much in the vein of what it means to be successful in a European Western sense. Oh, I agree. Oh, a thousand percent. Like no, no kind of visuals of impoverishment. Like I get that. Right. Right. No, I get that. Interesting. Okay. I have another question for you guys. Do you think that, well, we discussed this earlier, but do you think that, we always These end up discussing movies. the topics before we do the podcast. But I promise you, we're not rehashing anything we said before on the actual show. That's what's right. funny. Like, it's just the questions, not the actual statement. <laughs> right. Anyways, do you think that these Black is King, um, well, the Michelle Obama podcast, these new Okay, movies... now, you're, now you're entering a new realm. No, 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 no. <laughs> but do you think that they're here to be distractions or to pacify us? I don't want to say too much because I don't want the Secret Service coming after me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say too much. Um, I think that there is definitely, once again, this is back to like the the broader conversation about anti-racism and the, the, the awakening, if I, and it's bold of me to even call it that, um, that people are having around, um, you know, black, it's not even liberation, (laughs) racial justice. That's the neoliberal term, racial justice, uh, that we have, it it is now in the interest convergence between um, people who are fighting for racial justice, for anti-racism and corporations and and, and even um, state agents, right? People who have existed at the top of the empire in whatever sense, whether that be capitalist or whether that be the political class or whatever, that we have um, entered a time where it is convenient for people to now accept that Black people are going to say some things. Now, the, the, the caveat is what are they saying? Right. Right, so Black is King and um, Michelle Obama's podcast are safe right. topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, like they're not going to become enemies of the state, such as uh, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, at John Lewis's funeral. Right. <laughs> right, like, Stokely Kwame, sorry, Kwame Ture, um, it was deemed the enemy of the state because he believed in racial justice or what we have now watered down between black power and freedom and liberation into racial justice. He believed in that. And mind you, him and John Lewis started at the same place. <laughs> right. John Lewis decided to become a part of the American empire political class Kwame Ture decided to stay in revolution. He was not going to become an agent or even an accomplice to the state um, for the sake of representation, right? So that takes us back down the road of politics of representation and what representation keeps us docile, what representation keeps our progress stagnant um, and turns revolution into stage one of renaissance. Right. So to answer your question, right, like not necessarily a distraction, 
but it is definitely trying to feed an appetite, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to take your eyes off of the rattle, but I want to feed you your bottle while you, you know, uh, <laughs> right, like looking at this thing in front of you. Right. I think, I think in the same vein as that, or in a similar way, what I was going to say immediately that came to my head is, I don't think it may, it may not be intended to be a distraction, but it becomes a distraction. I think if you think about Lewis, like there's, I don't think that he, he was a sellout in the sense that he became part of the American empire. And some would say that, but I think that regardless, that action then becomes a, either a distraction or an action of here, look, we gave you what you wanted. Right. Um, and so I think that that can happen without something being intended for that. Now, that being said, we know that Disney has a history of controlling the narrative for the, for the benefit of the United States and not just like a presumed history of it, but an explicit legal history of it in terms of Walt Disney's relationship with the CIA and right. putting propaganda into television. Right. So, Come I mean, on, history lesson, give it to us now. I mean, and, like, this isn't like, it sounds like conspiracy stuff, but it's really just what was going on. Open up from Google. The, exactly. <laughs> it, it's really just, just what was going it. on from the 40s to the 70s and probably now. So I think that there's definitely that to look into. Because, I mean, it's weird how Americans and really anyone looks at the previous actions of their country and thinks that it's significantly different now. Like most people will at least acknowledge or know about Disney's involvement in the 40s and 50s and, and further in like changing the narrative and right. American nationalism and patriotism. You can and also just look here. at uh, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse was a blackie. <laughs> or he was meant to be a blackie. Right, but point. then they'll sit here, they'll sit here and they'll say, well, the same stuff is not going on now because huh? now... Right. I mean, the well, reasoning is very flawed. So let I think me go that's back to great. my quote from the 2019 BSU show. History does not repeat itself. It never ends. Right. <laughs> Come on. That's a quotable. <laughs> but um, no. Okay. That was, there's a lot there. First thing is, I would like everyone to go look up this video of Girl Meets World where they literally are spreading like anti-communist propaganda like through Disney like fully like two years ago. Oh, I saw that. I saw Right. Like silliness. Like silliness. Um, But also to your point like really and truly Black Black is King is palatable. I mean it is like a billionaire light-skinned green-eyed Black woman selling to you a story about after like that's not gonna rush up ruffle up some feathers like she's not doing it <laughs> like then there's this also other conversation like she's literally a capitalist like that's her like she's a billionaire and like she flaunted her wealth in the like she's not hiding that so i think that there is that dissonance there too if you really want to talk about africa and like <laughs> you know modern day mm-hmm. imperialism but anyways right Yes, I I think I'm going to go back to the point because I don't think I mentioned everything I wanted to. The point that I was making about um, blackwashing (laughs) um, Africa uh, as a and giving legitimacy to it as a colonial project that I think that what people don't realize is right, like like movies, television, so music, right, are are 
exports, right? Like they exist in their own economy, right? Not so much as just like the, you know, transfer of wealth between each other, but also the transfer of ideas, right? Like the same way that you say hip hop has hit, right? Africa and teenage Africa, right? Like a bus. (laughs) That um, in the same way, Mickey Mouse, right? As a character, as a caricature is also a global export of racist trope and racial subjugation, right? Like it is meant as a means to portray to the world that the blackies are supposed to be at the bottom of the caste system and don't you let them forget it. Right. No, right. And like, I I mean, Isaac and I were in this conversation and I don't want to bring it up because really and truly it's like a 10 hour conversation, but about like kind of American propaganda versus Chinese propaganda and we really had someone sit there and try to argue that there wasn't really any American propaganda. And if there was, it, w- it did not amount to China's. And I just sat there and I was China like, is not the enemy Americans proclaim oh, it out to be. Wait a minute. You're forgetting, you're forgetting a detail about this story. This person sat there and argued that while sitting in front of a picture of Thomas Jefferson and another framed picture of George Washington qu- crossing the Delaware. I right. mean, that, that perfectly sums up the power of American propaganda as a tool right. that makes you feel that you have choice, right. but still comes to the same result. Right. I mean, really? Thomas Jefferson. Right. Really, that's, I mean, that's absurd. Right, his black right. descendants say hello. Right. <laughs> I'm screaming. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, here's another question. Right. We also just talked about this. Um, so I think most of us have seen this new trailer about, or Judas and the Black Messiah. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Wonder what that's about. Okay. Um, and it's, st- no, no, no. I know who's, who it's about, but I don't get the. the it, it was because the, the writings about Fred Hampton within the Cointo Pro era was that he would be, he is dangerous because he could end up being a Black Messiah. That is also oh. the same document that led to uh, Kwame Ture becoming the enemy of the state, as well as MLK. MLK, Kwame Ture, um, Fred Hampton, and I think there's a fourth person that I'm not remembering, were all deemed dangerous for, uh, for, the, uh, for their sheer organizing. And Fred Hampton, in particular, is an interesting story because he dies super young. Yeah because of his ability to gather multiracial coalition. Right. And I believe, and in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So, that, right. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. No, for the no, that was, wow. Anyways, <laughs> basically we were just having a conversation about because- Oh, and, I'm sorry, just to get this out. You know the Judas uh, is probably referring to somebody who was a plant by the government. Oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, okay, our conversation was about um, the idea that, I don't even know his last name, but I think David is his first name. He's a Ugandan, I want to say... David? Is? You mean Daniel? Daniel! There you go. <laughs> I, when I said it, I was like... Did my Lord Did? deliver Daniel? <laughs> right. Daniel, uh, let me pull up his name. Anyways, he's a Ugandan, I want to say British um, actor who is going to be playing Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also been in Get Out, Black Panther, 
um, and some other movies. But essentially, people, the conversation sparked around the fact that we have another black British person playing African and African American. And so there is that, you know, difference in history um, and identity. And that's something to be addressed. Go ahead, Isaac. Oh, well, hmm. listen, we're having this conversation. And like we always say, the conversation we had before, because we always have a conversation before. Um, representation. I don't think that it's necessarily efficient or effective to say that a black Brit should not play um, an African-American role, especially because the representation, if that is the end goal, is there. Um, In the sense that if you're talking about little children watching something and they want to see people with the same skin color, it's up there people with the same voice. I mean, these actors train with linguistic coaches to change their accent. And so, and these linguistic coaches are usually from the whatever, you know, dialect they're trying to switch to. And so if you're talking about that kind of representation, I think it's also there. Um, If you're talking about how the character acts, that's coming from the director regardless. Um, So I just don't see the problem with, especially if you're talking about the African diaspora, because the histories really are very similar. Um, I mean, obviously it's different if you're talking about an Afro-Carib compared to an African-American versus a continental African to an African-American. But I think, um, I don't really see a problem with it. Aswa, you can go ahead. Okay. I mean, okay, so... I'm, like, in the middle. I feel that, like, as you're saying, at the, if the end goal is representation and, you know, they always use the kind of scenario of a little child looking up at the screen and seeing themselves, then that's, I mean, it's happening. Um, but, like, there is a real kind of conversation to be had about, like, where actors are being sourced from, who's actually getting roles. Because I think we've hit the point where you can't just be an actor. Like, you're an actor and, you know, personality, celebrity. And we're going to track you after you finish, after, you know, the scene's up, if that makes any sense. Like, he's also himself, like, as a as a role, like, as a celebrity. And then there's his actual role as Fred Hampton. And so, like, if kids see themselves in Fred Hampton but not in him, there might be a disconnect. Like, there might be a... Um, mm. Like, I... Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there might be a... Okay. So I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But then you could also get an African-American who is not that role outside of the screen. And I also think, because we talked about LGBTQ representation, like, if you have a straight actor playing a gay man and he kisses a man on screen, like, I'm not seeing how that's not representation. I think... But I, at the same time, I'm seeing how what you're saying outside of the screen, if they go then and they're like, because these people are like very public people, then the representation kind of falls off because it's not sort of the person that they were in the movie. But that's, I feel like that's also true for every single character that actors play. People don't, 
go to Keith Ledger and look for Joker. Right. You know what I mean? No, but but there's two coins. I think there there are two sides of the coin that is representation. There's one that's like representation as in like, you know, kids seeing themselves on the screen. But then there's also the other half or the side of the coin that is, you know, like an actor's actors getting roles, like employing these people. So if the if the end result is still African Americans are not getting roles, then <laughs> you know mm. couldn't solve much. So if, if, you see what I'm saying? I think that's I think that's not a problem of representation. I absolutely agree with you. I think that is outside of the conversation of representation. Right. Um, and I think even within I think within Hollywood especially with African-Americans, the issue in representation is not the skin color of the actor. It's the role that they're playing. It's the person who they, because so many times it's a black woman being portrayed as angry and unapproachable, or it's the man being overly, a black man being overly aggressive. And so I think that's where that conversation of representation comes in. But I think that the conversation about African-American actors not having the opportunities in their, in the own, in their own country. Um, while it's extremely important and is a conversation that needs to be had is not a conversation of representation. I would just say that there are layers to it. Like the first layer is like getting, let's say in the context of black people, getting black people on screen, getting black people on screen, doing things that don't play into black stereotypes getting black people actually playing the you know what I mean there's so many different like getting light-skinned women playing dark-skinned people like that's a whole nother thing getting you know what I mean like there are so many different layers to it and I think there's just another facet of the conversation but like I still think that a big thing or a, a part of the conversation that I'm not seeing is the fact that we don't like name one black British revolutionary like there's still American people are still in the dominant narrative of like in the dominant narrative period like i think america is over are you talking about like civil rights yeah but like hyper maybe that's because maybe that's because at least in britain there was some move towards civil rights i mean i'm not trying to give the british any credit for their terrible policy but if you think about so first of all there were less significantly less black people in britain there still are, yes. There still are. And the only, most of the black people there are windrushers from the Afro-Caribbean nations yeah. and um, West Africans and, and people from other British African colonies who yeah. came 60s, 70s. So I think that's a major part of it. Blacks weren't as sort of, black people weren't as entrenched culturally in, in British culture. So I think that's part of it. But also um, Britain was multicultural in a certain way before the U.S. was multicultural. The U.S. was very much a black-white society for a long time, whereas Britain, because of diasporas like the Indian diaspora, Pakistanis, whoever it may be, uh, was more multicultural. And so there were different sort of strings being pulled. So I think that's fair, but at the same time, I think it's worth recognizing why there are fewer black British figures of of sort of the revolution and, and the civil rights era. Right. But I still think that it's just like I, so 
I, I guess, have some people that I talk... Well, if you guys don't know, a lot of my family's British. And I, like, see on their social medias even, you know, so much of the discourse is American-centered. Like, they even... They'll use stuff happening in, in America to kind of push forward for their policies in Britain. I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> the disconnect here. Like, I just, I was just saying this the other day, a big part of this current renaissance and conversation, if you're going to point to George Floyd's lynching as the catalyst for it, he's also American. Like, there are George Floyds everywhere. Like, the fact that he came from America is a big thing. And I think a lot of people have been pointing the finger... Toward, or to America for just like the epicenter of race relations but like it's everywhere I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it would, we would do a massive service if we decentered America from race relations and I think that ties into like him getting or Daniel getting this role playing Fred Hampton because we don't even know of the black Brits who actually did like revolutionary stuff I agree Okay, but it and again, I want to be clear because I often have said pro-British things. I'm not trying to give <laughs> listen, just listen to me. I'm not trying to give Britain credit for their sort of racial climate, but I can look this up right now of the deaths of of um people, not even black people by police in uh, 2019 in the UK as a whole is four. Okay, America is just violent. I, I, yeah. it's, it's in a way that's not comparable to any other nation. That's not to say that, first of all, the British created America, so it's part of their legacy. You know, they, they do things, first of all, Britain's extremely segregated in terms of neighborhoods, regardless of your ethnicity, whatever, wherever you come from, there's tons of problems. But at the same time, I think it's worth recognizing how much violence, anti-Black violence there is in the United States yes. and how much that contrasts with other countries just as a matter of like, not even of morals, but like... Numbers. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, I get that. But I still think that like, I still think one thing that's happening is like countries like France, the UK, Spain are absolving themselves from racism. From, from starting it. From starting it. From starting it. <laughs> from literally starting, starting it. it. That's and you're true. like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? So yeah, I guess that's my ultimate point. I, I think that's know. true. That's absolutely so, I just have, I just have this to add, really. I think that the, the larger conversation is more so about cultural theft, right? And African-Americans feeling like, like the culture is not gatekept. Like, whereas other... How, how do I say this? Americans... I, I'm going to use America because I don't want to cast aspersions on any other national identity because I, I, like, I can't say that with my full chest. So I'm just going to say Americans. Americans feel an obligation to whatever black people are doing. And that speaks to more so of a history of surveillance. Um, right. As, as now the means of surveillance is now on cultural um, stuff, right? Like TikTok, right? Black content creators on TikTok get this stuff stolen all the time or get it uh, taken off the platform. You know what I'm saying? Like the erasure of, uh, a specific uh, it, well, let me bring it back to African American because I don't want to make African American and Black 
interchangeable because they're not, um, as we talked about before. But uh, as a as an African American person, right, like the the watching people own experiences or own people, right, like as we know, people in movies often get tied to the person, right? Yeah. Like you remember Denzel Washington as my as a Malcolm X, right? Like if you've seen that movie. I'm going to speak from a call. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Isaac, you understand what I'm saying. I do. I do. Okay. The same way that some people would attribute um, certain individuals to characters like the Joker to um, Heath Ledger, right? Like the ultimate Joker being, you know, so now he is tied to that character. Even Tyler Perry, right? As Medea. He will always be known as Medea, not as Tyler Perry, if that makes sense. Um, So when we talk about theft, right? Like, Take the movie Selma. Martin Luther King was played by someone from the UK, I believe. Yeah, I think it was from the UK. And yep. the person who played Coretta Scott King was also from the UK. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, like Coretta Scott King is from Alabama. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she's from Alabama. Like to to this, particularly for me, right? The erasure of Black Southern culture, right? The the roots of blackness in America coming out of the South, especially the deep South, right? Like we lose so much of that essence when we choose other people to come in and mimic the cultural nuances of black people, African Americans. But isn't that acting? Okay, wait, I totally forgot. There's actually like a whole um, Key and Peele episode about this one concept of like, there's like, there's a British actor and then there's like a guy from Detroit or something, and they're like competing for this role of the gangster, right. and the director keep giving giving it to the British guy. And I'm just like, I just thought about that. Yes, I also like All American. If you know, if you know of the show, the 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 they play up on the difference between the hood and the suburbs. Like that is the central, you know, driving force plot. Um, wedge between people, right? The main conflict of the story in All American is about going from rags to riches. And he comes out of Crenshaw in (laughs) in South LA. And he's British. The person who plays it is British. Like he only uses, he uses not only just like an American like way of talking, a, a person out of LA's speech patterns, a person out of LA's swag, a person out of LA's fashion sense. Like, they're trying to put blackface as synonymous to each other, right? Like, I can just put this blackface inside of these thuggish clothes, and everybody will believe it because we've already told you that black is thug. We've already taught you that. So I don't have to do any of the work to make you actually believe that this British person is believable as a person who who is African American and comes out of the out of the hood or comes from, you know, who is, you know, from a low income community, whatever, because we've all, because it's monolithic, right? Like if from the gaze of the eye, right? The white imagination is painting um, everybody who's black as the same. So you're interchangeable wherever you are. That's why you have people who are Americans playing Nelson Mandela (laughs) and you have British actors playing Spencer James out of South LA, out of Crenshaw. Mm. So, so is your is your ultimate point that we should start? Well, they should start casting people who are in their true selves more or closer to their characters. Okay, but then also we are getting into this conversation we had about 
Hamilton. <sighs> but answer Osway's question. I said yes. But but so okay, I don't I, I hate to I'm not playing devil's advocate here. But you are but, going like, to play devil's advocate if you had to preface it that way. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to preface it, just own it. Own but it. like but like so what I always say that actors do the least or well, actors act the least in our society. Like fully I think that there is something to be said about like what it means to be an actor and like what it means to tell someone else's story. Cause ultimately you, unless you're telling your own story, you're not telling your own story. <laughs> like that's just period across the slate. Like that's just, my right. name is not X, my name, you know? Right. So, um, but like, I, I'm not sure like within the art of acting. Cause I do think that so much of this goes under artistry and like artistry does well. A lot of people get away with things just because of artistry. But I do think it's something to be said that, like, if you are an actor, part of your job and part of your passion is telling other people's stories. So whether that means that you're telling someone, like, if this is, if there's a pattern of of Black people kind of taking the roles of, or Black British people taking the roles of African Americans, that's something to be said. But I think the pure artistry of it, I'm not a to does that make sense okay okay i have two things on that so i think sometimes right it's not even just the fact of black british people taking the roles of african americans it's sometimes and i use the case of cynthia Rebo, that it's what you actually believe about the people that you're em- that you're emulating right like in her sense people could dig up archives of anti-black anti-African-American statements, right? To say that, I I don't remember what they said. It's been a while, but that's why there was so much uproar about her playing Harriet Tubman um, as a British, as like a proudly staunch British woman, right? That that always is talking about um, like her, you know what I'm saying? Like her, how Britain and how her British um, like national identity is core to who she is. Sound like Isaac. So, but like, yeah. So, like, well, okay. But this, wait a minute. On, wait a damn minute. Wait a damn minute. Wait a damn minute. I let you. Why are you cussing on the pod? Oh, sorry, <laughs> I forgot that was a cuss word. I forgot that was a cuss word for you. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, and then my second point being right that, um, you're right. I mean, like I view Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles. Like Jamie Foxx was Ray Charles for like half my life. Because he can play the hell out of a role. <laughs> so, like, sorry. Not me. Well, hell is not a cuss word because it's a place. Anyway. No, I was I was making <laughs> a face at Jamie Foxx being a good actor, but I digress. Wait, not you saying Jamie Foxx is not a good actor. Yes, cut to the Black oh. Annie. Black Annie. Oh. That was Somebody strange. step on her toes. Cut her toes off. She should not be mobile. <laughs> you don't deserve nice things for saying that. You don't deserve nice things for saying that. That I would not tolerate Jamie Foxx slander on the acting. I don't listen. I'm not going to make a a specific statement about his acting as a whole, but Black Annie needs to go. (laughs) Not Black Annie. (laughs) Not not my asthma kicking in. Stop. Okay, get back to the conversation. Right. That's so. Right. So what I so what I'm saying is like you're right. Right. That. 
most times people are not telling stories that they have lived, that they have, that they can own fully. Like Jamie Foxx is not a blind black man playing, you know, in the Jim Crow era, like across the country. So like, I, I get that. I get that. And like, like you said, like artistry. Yes. However, however, he is African-American. So at least from a point, he's not, he's not coming from a place that is culturally, like he's not coming from a, a, another culture, another subculture of blackness to come and play somebody else. Well, okay. Well, well, well. <laughs> then in that case, like, I, I don't know. I just don't know. To me, that's a sticky, because going back to black is king. Can, right? I just, can I just make a comment on being compared to <laughs> let me just make something clear. let me just make something clear regardless it's different for me because i am part english you have to understand that like okay it, that's a different thing because this is an Iyanla episode wait a minute <laughs> this, i go go tell your story culturally Culturally and ethnically, that's part of my heritage. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's no, it is. It like, is. That, that's that a is very a different. That's a very different thing than like even the Black British side of my family or Otway's family who lives in Britain. Like, oh, I just want to make that clear. He he is English. That's what I'm saying. Right. He is English. Like the mo- I don't know. I don't. Even, I always have to explain this as well. the The best way I can make it sink in people's heads is like he is Native American. <laughs> I'm American. Stop. <laughs> that that is crack up. Like he's like actually English. Right. But, because um, there's like that's that's at, not I mean, Isaac's ancestors being a part of the colonial class. <laughs> Which colony okay, did they minute, settle? Which I'm colony did they settle? More. Now I'm gonna have to expand more because you're attacking me. Let me say something. I'm not attacking you. It's a joke. Ah, let, let me say something. While it is true that I, I am, has had to defend himself for half of this. Stop it! I want all the viewers to hear this to make something clear. While it is true that I'm English, it is also true that that English family faced significant discrimination because they are not considered white because they are gypsies. I know I'm not allowed to say gypsy, but I don't care. It's it's like my I don't I don't really understand that. I know now we may have to deplatform you from here because the people are going to want justice. But listen, okay, you know what? I can't even defend all of them because I don't know all of them. But I feel like I'm getting attacked. And my only point is, there's like this weird thing across European empires of like love for the colonizer that just isn't present between African Americans and America. Um, or Native Americans in America. Like, if you think about the relationship between Eritrea and Italy, the relationship between French West Africa and France, like, there is this weird, like, pride that certain, especially older people, take in, like, being part of that empire. I don't really... Not the king, not the royal descendant. (laughs) Disagreeing. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to hear Otto's perspective on this, but I think that is a very, and obviously it's not true for everyone, but I mean, there are old black people in Trinidad who grew up work, not, not slaves, but grew up like essentially slaves Slave on sugar away. plantations who are like 
So that's another point. Actually, I'm going to come back to that. I'm glad you reminded me. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But who weirdly have some like connection or love for Britain. I don't really understand where it comes from, but it is a sense that I get not only from Trinidad, but from people across the British Commonwealth, the French former empire and, and different European uh, empires. No, I swear. I'm but bring, go ahead. Ta- right. Tag her into the ring. Let's go. I mean, I, okay, so let me you, say. You don't I, think that's true at all? No, no, no. I find truth in that. Okay, because, okay. So for Jahari, I think Jahari often, you know, articulates his percept or his definition of white domination as rooted, as something rooted in power. Like, that's the crux of it. For me, Correct. it is a, it is something well, rooted in like a serious spiritual warfare, like, like fully, like wickedness. So I feel like not the Bible. Mm. Yes, <laughs> but like, but like I think that's what more you're of a me and Isaac is, point to make. Anyway, <laughs> one can can recognize, you know, the the brainwashing in older continental Africans. But I I agree, I agree. There mm-hmm. is that. But they also were the same people who led revolutions in the okay, and, and okay. Like, I think that's <laughs> what I was and what I was trying to say is that is absolutely true, and I don't think, but I think those are different people. Like it's not fair to look at that generation or those generations as a monolith, especially yeah. across the Commonwealth. I just think when I said that, I more meant a significant portion of people who think like if I think about my grandpa he was not at all down for that like he was not like loved Britain whatever he was still he still moved to Britain for work so if you think about it like I mean that was really the only option it's not like he did that because he loved Britain as an economic necessity right um because of their actions in the region and whatever it may be and so I definitely didn't I, I think that's a an essential thing to say, Atsui, because across the Commonwealth, and now I'm just thinking about the British Commonwealth, that generation were were the generation who pushed up against that. I mean, my grandfather would have been born in the late 30s, and his generation Your were the grandfather. <laughs> I, we've had this conversation before. Anyway, would have been born in the late 30s, and that generation was the generation who in the 60s pushed most of the Caribbean nations to full independence. So I think that's definitely fair. I just sense, I, I, I think there's just those two different things is like, there definitely are those people who are still very brainwashed, like very, um, and some of that comes from self-hate and internalized racism, racism that uh, the British put in those places. But I think what you said is definitely essential to say. Right. But also, I mean, I don't know if that's even, like I, I see that in America as well. I mean, I there are people who join the military. Well, never mind. Oh, fun fact: <laughs> the military is thirty percent African American. Anyway, I, I have ancestors who fought in three wars. I mean, I have right, but can I just say, as as well as a descendant not only of royalty but <laughs> of of the brain drain class, like. Like doctors leaving, you know, Nigeria, lawyers leaving Ghana, like that whole class of people who left because their profession just wasn't well. They're, they're, what they dreamt of 
themselves, like as a professional, could not be attained in their home countries. I'm going to put it that way. Um, and so, like, I think you're speaking to maybe that class of people mm. who in turn kind of fell in love with the West mm. um, in a different way. Like, I don't, I get what you're saying. I just don't want to paint that as like the co- or the dominant even. Yeah, yeah. It is true that a lot of our politicians are really like, <laughs> I don't even know, like black facing it, like truly. Like, I don't even know how to fully explain that, but kissing, they- Kissing the toes of the yes. queen, yes. <laughs> yes, literally though, like quite literally. But I do think that there is a common se- like sentiment of reclaiming themselves and all that. But I don't know. Anyways, go ahead. I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I, I think that's, yeah, that's worth saying. All right. It looks like we're about at closing thoughts. Yeah. Uh, who wants to start? I think I think I'll start. So I think the the thing for me here is uh leaving um with um back to our first episode I believe about decognize your imagination um like to stop legitimizing colonial experiments like in the same way that we were talking about how um like the glamorization or the romanticization of, uh, you know, slave-holding presidents of empires or soon-to-be empires, um, whether it be uh, like romanticization of Africa, uh, like those are colonial projects, right? Like a presidency, a national presidency, a continent, <laughs> right? That of, you know, like subject to intense subjugation through colonialism, exploitation, so on and so forth. Uh, like we, we can't, we have to have, the nuance in discussion has to be uh, more critical, more critiques, more interrogation um, on the roots as opposed to just what's right there, right? Like it's easy to grab, um, to talk about how we need to do positive representation of Africa. It's harder to grasp how Africa is not a legitimate concept that needs validation. Right. Right. Okay, so I'm going to leave in quoting a tweet that I saw, which was, the best thing to come out of Black is King is getting a bunch of Africans to shut up for a year. Um, (laughs) I think, first of all, that's actually crazy that no one, anyways. (laughs) Um, I think that no, it is a it is a, an important conversation to talk about um, representation and how we represent. Do we even need representation? Do okay. we even need the next white episode, face? Next episode. Right. I always do this. Do we even like right? Are those? Oh, wait. Did you say do we need a whitest king? No. Do do we well, need I was the say, white? Welcome to America. <laughs> right. I mean, hello. But like, right. Do we need the white gaze like fully? Um, do we, right, is, is representation an obsolete concept that we need to ditch? Um, those are my questions. I had another comment too, but I'm losing it. Yeah, okay. right. So like, how do we paint, how do we paint Africa in a way that is true to its actual form? And that also might 
be ditching the concept of Africa as one lump of places. Like, understanding that we're talking about billions of people. I mean, Nigeria is going to be the third most populated country in a couple years. Get ready for that. (laughs) Um, So we're talking about a complete, like, melting, you want to talk about melting pots of people. Um, And so, like, how do we stay true to the diversity there as well? That's my closing thought. Yeah, that's, well, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there are a lot of things that happened and are becoming obsolete. Um, we talked about how, when does black capitalism, I forget which episode that was, when does black capitalism become obsolete? But I think- Did it I think, come out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we have episodes that we film and they oh, don't convince true, the true, light of day. True, true. I didn't hear what you, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Um, and then also, you know, in terms of recogni- recognized ethnicity, whatever that means, Africa is considered the most diverse. Um, I mean, just so I, I definitely agree with that, not considering Africa as one thing, which then brings up that conversation of that concept versus um, Pan-Africanism and yes. the benefits of that. So definitely another podcast. Um, but yeah, I guess that's where I'd close off. All right. Thank y'all. We'll see you on the next one. Yeah. Thank you.